Anna here. Did you know I have another podcast? And did you know it's all about failure? Well, at this point, you'd have to answer yes to both of those questions because I just told you. But my other show isn't just about failure. It's about failing your way to success. Yes, success. Because the most successful people are often just the people who've gotten up the most times after their failures. Don't believe me? Go download Fail Your Way to Success wherever you get your podcasts or go to failyourway.com for more info. Now back to the show. My life as a stripper was so much more controversial and for some reason, you know, the thing that more people had an issue with. I was ready to jump out of a window, basically, and I was unrecognizable to myself. This other thing with the teacher was more relationship-like. And I was like... Really? Like, that's you. That's that's it? That's what I am? I'm just bad at being uncomfortable? So simple, and it also makes me feel like such a dick. Why is it that the most successful people have often overcome the greatest struggles? How do you find that light in the dark? That's what I'm here to find out. I'm Anna David, and this is Struggle to Success. Well, hi there. Thank you so much for downloading and listening to Struggle to Success, which is my podcast, which I am enjoying doing so much as I share with you guys, as I pry into the personal lives of people who may not be accustomed to such prying to find out what role struggle played in their success, thereby proving my theory that the world's most successful people have often struggled the most. I love the guest that I have today. Um, He's somebody that I met almost a year ago, and we sat next to each other at a lunch and just, well, I dove into it with my overly intrusive questioning and all of that stuff, and he handled it. I would say he enjoyed it, and now here's the proof because he now did it for posterity's sake. So who is this man? Joe Clark is a certified financial planner. He's been in the financial services industry for more than 30 years, he knows a lot more about money than than we do. He manages more than $450 million serving families in 31 states, but he also uh, writes a weekly column for the Herald Bulletin, is the host of a weekly radio show called Consider This, and um, does a million other things. What I found fascinating in this conversation, aside from everything, is um, the role that wanting to be included and Foursquare during recess, how that manifests itself in our everyday lives. I think everybody can relate to that one. So keep listening and you can find out. And thank you as ever. This is Joe Clark. Okay, Joe. So good to talk to you um, and, and pry into your personal life and your struggles. I'm pretty excited about that. Are you excited? Uh and I'm always excited to talk with you. And I, you know, I don't know if anybody enjoys talking about their struggles, but I think it's worthwhile to share uh, with other people. You know, we live in this world of Facebook where you see everybody's great days and nobody's bad days. And uh, the reality is we've all had challenges. And I, I think sometimes just coming clean helps. Is it weird that I do enjoy talking about my struggles? I no, do. it's not weird. It's that's why you are. That's why you're extremely successful at the things that you do. We don't, you know, you don't, you don't do things like the average person walking down the street. Anna. Now, do you think you do? Because I would turn that back on you and say you don't either. Um, 
No, that would probably be uh, be an unfair statement. If you're a if you're an Enneagram person out there, which I'm a big fan of, uh, I'm an eight, so I'm a challenger. So I don't I don't live by a lot of rules. Which, um, if you know again about the Enneagram, that means it came from childhood stress that I didn't even understand it came from, and I'm a ten quick start. So when you combine those two, um, I don't live in a normal uh, here's how life ought to work kind of box. I don't know about the Enneagram thing. I don't even know if I'm saying it right. Will you explain what that is? Yeah, E-N-N-E-G-R-A-M. Um, it is a, a church-based um, program that helps us understand that we have nine different personalities, uh, that we tend to focus on one of those personalities, and almost all of it stemmed from um, from our childhood. Um, I, you know, where you ended up... Um, taking on a different role. My wife is a helper. Um, so there's things that without the Enneagram to me look like she's being apathetic, uh, which has led to a lot of problems in lives. I have to make decisions very quickly and lots of them. Uh, and so I don't, I, I have a hard time dealing with people who don't make decisions. Uh, and that's just part of, part of her nature, part of, part of where that came from. So there's a, there's a couple books I would recommend. There's a, uh, the, the, the road back to you, Mm-hmm. Um, is a is a great basic book on the Enneagram. And then the wisdom of the Enneagram is more like a college course on understanding how it works. But it's, you know, my wife and I've been married for 31 years uh, by the grace of God. And, and uh, the Enneagrams probably helped us understand each other more than anything else out there. Now, let's talk about the stress from your childhood. Uh, what is What did you learn that was, you know, that you were not aware of at the time and in adulthood you came to understand? Well, you know, when you hear the stories of some of our friends and you talk about, you know, being beat up or being kicked out or, or you know, left in a, you know, left in foster cares, some of the real challenges, you kind of, you kind of put yours on the back burner. And, um, you know, mine, mine really was, was not a, abusive. You know, my parents didn't get divorced. I didn't live through all of that. Um, but I was a poor white fat kid. Uh, in an area where we didn't have Facebook and somehow my nature, um, it just, you know, probably that 10 quick start, even as a kid, um, kind of put me on the outs with people. And mm. um, I, I started my first company, uh, it was called JAC Financial. My initials are JAC, just another company was the name of the company. And I started it in fifth grade. And the theory was I was going to make enough money that I could hire people and force them to be my friends. Oh, that breaks my and heart. Yes. And, uh, and, you know, I, I honestly, and I had forgotten all about that. And, you know, when you get into studying what makes you, you, um, you know, it really becomes tough and you can't, you know, I've got a company with 28 people on our team now and, and you can't hire people to be friends. And it's not, it's not what I, it's never where I intended it to be, but it is certainly the genesis of what got me to, uh, make some of the uh, some of the mistakes that that I made, um, you know. So it's I mean it's just part of life. But um, understanding that and and reconciling with yourself and your your past, I think, are critical for success. So you grow up, you feel alienated. You start this company. Did the company work at, f- um, at fifth grade wh- or whatever? Uh, well, now that. Fifth grade was selling Grip magazine door to door, and then there was Mason shoes, and then there was Herbalife. Mm. Um, so, 
I guess I guess you would have to say at this stage the company did work with a with a minor mishap, and that's kind of sarcasm, uh, with a major mishap in, in the middle. Um, mm-hmm. But it it um, yeah it worked. I can't say you know I, I'm I'm blessed today to have lots of, of people that I could call and spend the night at a house and and go out and have dinner with that I call friends and um, you know so that part of it worked. Um, I you know that's. Yeah, I, I I don't know if the what I planned for what I planned to happen ended up happening, uh, but it it all worked out in the end. So you graduated from high school. You went to Indiana University. Did, uh, did. Uh, what was college like for you? Did you thrive? Did you feel a part of? Did you feel alienated? Were you doing businesses already? What was happening? It um so I'm God's exhibit of a sense of humor. Number one, Anna, um, and and you just. You know, when, when when I tell people that this part of the story, uh, they they have a hard time believing it to be true. So, um, you know how you know how people say they're the first person in a generation that that got to go to college. Mm-hmm. I'm the first one that didn't. Um, I went to I went to IU um, to become an estate planning attorney because in 1985 um, I watched a family farm destroyed because of the tax code. And so if you ever hear me talk about what I do, you know, it's really aimed straight at the IRS and trying to to fix uh, fix some of the challenges that exist there where people are confused over their over their tax issues, especially when it comes to their investments. And so um, I went to IU to become an estate planning attorney. Um, it didn't go so well. Um, Ten quick starts do not fit into classrooms very well. Uh, and um in 86, Reagan changed the tax code that would have saved the farm. And so I lost a lot of my energy and flair for what I was there for. I found out my two favorite professors were draft dodgers. And, you know, I know people's politics are different, but in Indiana, that just is not, that's just not who we are. And I, I ended up dropping out and leaving and um, went and got into the financial services industry, essentially two weeks before the crash in 1987. Uh, people say, Joe, I'm so sorry. I'm like, don't be sorry. I had no money. I had no clients. It was a beautiful thing. I got to learn on, on how other people had to deal with life. And uh, I went through and got into the CFP program. Uh, the board gave me one chance to uh, pass the board exam because I didn't have a four-year degree. I passed, um, started the, the company. Um, and in, and I'd have been on radio for over 20 years. And in 2008, Purdue had a problem. So if you know anything about uh, Big Ten, IU and Purdue are rather rivals. And so um, Purdue has a four-year degree in financial planning. They had to have a, a CFP teach their course. They called and asked if I would te- please teach for a semester. Uh, I agreed to at the end of three years. I thought it's cool that IU dropout had to teach Purdue seniors, frankly. Um, and they, uh, they after three years, they said, uh, you've got to go back to school. And I think uh, that's not going to happen. And um, they said, well, then you're going to have to quit. And a week later they called and said, we've decided to make you a professor. (laughs) I said, you can't make, you can't make me a professor. And they go, actually we can. And so I ended up teaching at Purdue for seven years, uh, which was one of the greatest experiences of the, of the 28 people on my team. Five of them were in my classes that I taught at Purdue. Um, you know, so again, it's 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 an exhibit of of God having great grace and humor, in my opinion. Um, but the college was tough. I, I I won an election to be the senator of my dorm. 
Um, but it wasn't with a lot of friends. It was still, I was still kind of hard to figure out and to understand. And I can go back and look to see all the things that I did wrong. You know, that when you learn what a challenger is on the 88 gram, Anna, you will know, you will recognize a few others of them. It's not just me in your life. Um, it could you know, be me. I, I could be it, one. Well, it, you could be, but, um, um, anyhow, we'll it's, see. It's, it's an interesting, it's an interesting study. So then, at, well, over those years that you were a professor, you start your company. Um, no, no. Actually, you started the company way before, 97. Yeah, I started the company in 97. And um, how, what role would you say those struggles, the alienation as a kid, um, not being able to do college, what role would you say that, that had in your success in building that company? Well, it, it has success and failure because you, um, when no, when, when you feel like nobody else cares about you, you don't really care about anybody else. And, you know, I got, I, I met my wife in January of 88. Um, people laugh and, and ask her to confirm this, but it's true. She asked me to marry her in March and we got married that November. And, you know, I knew that I wanted to be married. I knew at some point in time and, and it all worked out. And, um, but I, I, I wasn't a, I wasn't a terrifically good husband. I, I worked at 80 to a hundred hours a week. I really didn't care about anybody else. I wound up in counseling. Um, you know, the, and the, the doc looked at me and said, let me get this straight. You're working because you want to provide your, your wife and your young daughter a better life. I go, no, 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 <laughs> I'm doing this because I'm building a company. And, you know, how selfish can, can somebody be in the way they said that? But it was exactly how I felt. And, uh, when I worked, you know, all the way through the tech wreck. And then in, in 2002, it all kind of comes home to roost. And, you know, my wonderful wife says, Hey, there's gotta be a better plan than de than dealing with somebody who's absorbed by a company and not by his family. And, you know, obviously since we've been married for 31 years, we worked through that. Um, but that alienation, you know, creates some problems and, it really, I mean, if you really want to get to the, um, where it got ugly, I guess, in, in my life, and, and we still have um, challenges that we deal with from it, you know, I manage money for people at the end of the day. I get paid to make sure that your accounts grow and are used correctly. And we've got $460 million now that we're responsible for. Well, in 07, I mean, people treated me like, and I accepted that I was the Superman, like a cape around my shoulders. And when 08 hit, and I couldn't explain it, you, you know, there was, when you have systemic risk, it was not systematic risk, which is how a market normally behaves. When you see that happen, bad things happen. And, and Anna, I was awake for 32 days with no sleep. Mm. Um, the things that I have done to apparently adrenal glands and everything else from the stress from that period of time apparently will be with me forever. And I think all of that came from uh, me trying to be more than what a mere mortal is capable of so that I would be picked to play Foursquare back in fifth grade. If you want to know the truth, I, I think it goes back to that. Oh, that's so well said. And so did you fall apart? And then could go to counseling. How did that get solved, or how is it getting solved? Um, th that's probably my relationship with. Um, I, I'm going to tell you. Your listeners may not like it. You may not like it, but it's. Uh, if you remember, in 07, the iPhone first came out, mm -hmm. and 
I had um, in my suburban. I when I when I was was teaching at Purdue, um, it was ninety three minutes each way. And podcast just started. I, po- I started my podcast in 07 when you could start them because of an intern at Purdue who knew how to do that. Wow. And, um, and so uh, back then in 07, you couldn't even really, from what I remember, buy Christian music on iTunes. And I came downstairs one morning. I had to drive to Lafayette. And frankly, um, I I, I'm not sure I've ever said this publicly, but I'm, I'm not sure I care if I've made it or I didn't make it. Um, I just knew that I couldn't listen to CNBC for another 90 minutes. And I went online. I used to do a cooking show and I went online and I downloaded four cooking shows. And um, when I got into the car and I plugged them in, they were actually four sermons. They, they were from Francis Chan and Erwin McManus uh, and, a, and another guy out in Seattle. And, uh, and I drove to drove to the office, and um, the market was horrible again. But I didn't feel as bad. Mm. And I found myself driving back and forth three or four days, listening to stuff that I never intended to even download, and started seeing things that I'd never seen, even though I'd made that drive for ten years of my life. And it was just it was a remarkable thing. So I I never went to counseling per se over it. Mm. But I've become a very, I've been very introspective, if you will, over why I do the things that I do and how I behave. I wound up preaching in a few different churches. Um, so that's, that's kind of where my, where my escape route came from, I guess, if you will. Wow. That's, and, and by the way, the most popular podcasting genre is Christianity by a mile. Um, you know, I always assumed it was comedy or, or some news or something like that, but it's Christianity. Now, where... And, and, and yes. the, number, the number of shows that are out there that are done by Christian-based businesses that don't market it that way would even make that, would even amplify that. I didn't, have, didn't mean to interrupt. No. So, so then um, how, so you start to feel better as a result of this spiritual connection that you, you know, develop even stronger. And then how does that play into uh, the continued success? You bounced back from 2007, 2008. When did that happen? Well, I sort of bounced back. What happened, uh, there's a reason why most of my life they've called me Big Joe. And um, um, so 2008, 2009 happened. By the time by the time, as you put it, I bounced back. Uh, I was up to 438 pounds and um, I knew that something had to change. And so I, I went through the surgery process. And then in 2012, uh, we went to Nairobi on a missions trip and climbed Kilimanjaro. And I, I think climbing Kili with my brother um, and getting to the top was, was, my, was my heart, my mind saying, all right, it's time to go again and to really get back at it. And We've been growing at a, at a pretty good clip um, from 2012 through present day. Um, you know, there's still scars. I mean, it's, you, still, you still wake up some nights and go, what? And um, I love to, I love my elliptical. It helped in, in the weight loss part. So I'm about 160 pounds less than I was at the top. Um, but you just, you know, you really let your body go. When, when, when you focus on one thing, you let something else go when you're a compulsive person. And it's, um, it's why, I, you know, when I went to the hospital and had my gallbladder taken out, they tried to give me opioids. And I said, there's, you know, I just left the vice president's office with two CEOs of hospitals. 
and learn for the first time the impact of opioids. And I'm going, I only have to do things once to get addicted to them. Yeah. There's no way you're putting that stuff in my body. I just, I know me, I know me too well. And um, what happens is I have to write in my journal the four things that matter to me, spirit, relationships, health, and wealth, because I have found that I will focus on one of them to the detriment of the other three. And so, you know, I'm, I'm very careful in my journal about what emails I open, when I open them, what week I open them, and what it is I'm trying to get out of them or what podcast I'm listening. You know, I, I love Joe Polish's quotations, read what you've solved for. Uh, and that's what I try to do so that I can keep those four areas always in front of me because um, my tendency is to pick one and go deep, mm-hmm. you know, just to continue to drive. And it, it may work for some people, but it gets me into trouble. So striving for balance is, is what you do in order to sort of maintain equilibrium. Is, yeah, I, I, control balance, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and so you joined Genius Network last year. Is that last year? Yep. How, next year, Dana. Uh, you left. sure did, you lucky man. How, how has that helped in terms of um, helping you thrive on a personal or professional or both? I feel, having not talked to you about it that much, that it's been transformative for you. I, I would say it has. Um, you know, back in 2016, uh, my wife and daughter were carjacked and kidnapped. And um, I had a really, really hard time um, dealing with the event, you know, because you wonder why you weren't there and you know, all those guilt things that you could go through. But I had, a, I had a real hard time talking about the struggle that my daughter went through going in institutions um, you know, trying to take her life one time and or twice. And, you know, that to me, that was a showing of weakness that I just couldn't, I, I couldn't emotionally accept us in a public setting. And, um, I, I think being around the genius network in, in, in one strong way has helped me understand that I really don't have a Superman cape and that it's really okay that my daughter doesn't. And, you know, that stuff sucked and nobody should have to go through it. Um, but it, it certainly helped deal with that. The other would be the proximity factor of, of you become who the people you are around. I mean, the reason I was a genius is because I have always believed if you get me around people who have done more uh, or better, it won't take me long to figure it out. And there are people who are genius who have done just tons more than I've ever thought about doing. Uh, and, and one of those, you know, you should, maybe you don't know, I cut 40 pounds since the last, since the Genius annual event last year, because a genius just doesn't like fat folks. You know, Joe Walden picked on me and picked on me and picked on me. And it's kind of like, okay, if, if I'm going to hang around Jeremiah Joseph, so I'm going to hang around some of these people, you know, Dave Asprey that take this stuff serious, I'm going to have to change my health and take it more serious. So I, I think you would definitely have to say in a lot of ways that it has been, um, transformative is probably a fair word. So would you say it's sort of like you're back at recess, but it's actually like a healthier version of it? Yeah, that's, that's fair. I'm ha- I can't tell you that I'm not having fun doing what I'm doing. You know, I wake up, I wake up every day to be very, very blessed to do what we do. And um, it's, it's kind of like God from the very beginning built me to do what I do. 
going to hang around you and to genius and other, you know, the, the people that are there uh, is a process of, uh, of making sure that I enjoy it. You know, we have a, Joe has the trademark thing, Joe Polish is of Elf, easy, lucrative and fun. And, you know, I never looked at it that way. It wasn't work. Wasn't supposed to be um, easy. It wasn't supposed to be fun. It was just supposed to be lucrative. And, and I found myself this year saying no to a couple of things that, either weren't fun or weren't easy. And it's kind of like, you know what? I just don't need that. Um, yeah. You know, so it's, it's been, it's been very good. And now what um, would you say to somebody who's experiencing the struggles that you had either early in life or later, you know, when you were trying to be Superman, what, what advice would you give them? Um. One is it's it's okay to to mess up, um, you know. To guilt guilt sucks, and it doesn't it doesn't do anybody any good. And I had a um, a coach and strategic coach for a long time named Dave Larue, and Dave did an exercise one day uh, where you had to write down um, your greatest achievements. So we wrote down two or three of them. And you had to write down the feeling that you had when you thought that was a good idea. And what made you think that you would be successful when you did it and, you know, go through. And that's what we did in the morning. And I mean, it was so empowering. And I, I mean, I, I think we all stood eating because, you know, you'd just gone through your greatest hits. And then that little rascal after lunch said, all right, now write down your worst result. You know, as, as uh, Keith Cunningham would say, you know, if you could reverse your three stupidest decisions, how much more money would you have today? And in this case, you're looking at one. And then, then you go through the same thing. What were you thinking? What was your feeling? Why did mm. you think it would make it work? And, and the conclusion that you reach is the same gutty decision that made me think I could build a registered investment advisory firm in a town where General Motors was packing up their bags to leave was the same decision I made to build another company that flat out didn't work, right? And, and you're going to do things in life that don't work, but you, you've got to recognize to the best of your ability, what those drivers are. You know, the Enneagram is not about saying that you, Anna, are this number or that number. It's about recognizing my weaknesses and my strengths and making sure that, that I provide grace or, you know, that, that, I'm, that I'm able to contain myself so that I don't create more problems than I need in my relationships. So is it was the conclusion basically that it's arbitrary that we get we feel the same when we when we start something successful as, as well as when we start something that isn't successful it's just sort of like sometimes they work and it's arbitrary. Um, I'm not willing to go arbitrary. Uh, I, I think you better learn through each failure. Um, to the, there is a a form that we used to have that we used in strategic coach called the negativity transformer, and. Um, I was, um, I've done maybe in 22 years of the firm, I've maybe done 200 um, experience transformers or negative, tra negative negativity transformers. When I built the internet company in 01 um, and it failed and we got to lay 100 people off in a day and I went through three and a half million dollars of my money and other people's money. I went through about 250 negativity transformers inside of a, a two or three week period of everything I wish I would have done differently and should have done differently. And what happens is I, I was fortunate enough last year 
to be um, elected as the as the entrepreneur of the year for our county. And it was a very cool, rewarding thing. And they started asking questions. And I said, guys, you're asking the wrong questions. Nobody asks what's wrong when it looks like it works. You ought to be asking me what I learned when I ran a company that didn't work, mm. when it flopped. And, and that it's just, that's just not, you know, the, a society's nature is to, uh, to, to lean away from pain and to, to not talk about failure. And I'm telling you, I learned a lot more failing than I ever have success as being successful. And so when I, when I say I'm not willing to say that it's just happenstance and luck, it's, I think we make a lot of that on our own. You know, our, our saying around here is pray like it depends on God, work like it depends on you because it does, mm-hmm. right? I mean, you, you have to put the backbone and the sweat into it uh, or it's not going to work, but, but do it based on all the things that you've already learned in your past. That's great. I, um, okay. We have to, we have to get towards wrapping up. So I'm going to throw a couple things at you. First of all, what is your definition of struggle? Ooh, see, and I intended to listen to your, uh, your briefing on that already. And, uh, it was a, it was a very productive and busy day and I just didn't get to it, but you weren't meant to do it. My definition of my definition. Yeah, I figured, um, my definition of struggle is when you have, when you have resistance of getting to where it is you want to go. And, and sometimes we create greater resistance for ourselves and sometimes um, things just stay on our flow. But it's, it's anytime there's something that is just creating that scratchy irritability sound between me and, and getting to where it is I want to go. And it can be something as simple as making it to an airplane on time. And it can be something as complex as me losing the next 40 pounds. Um, it's a struggle. It's difficult. But the best news is at the end of the struggle comes the greatest rewards. You know, things that come easy just are not, think, things without struggle just don't seem to be as meaningful as those that are with. Exactly. Um, so how do you define success? Um, success is being able to look in the mirror and know that you did the right things uh, and that you gave it your all. You know, that's, um, I was one of those guys at, at 18 that had a car full of, uh, of those crazy cassette tapes. There was a guy named Jim Rohn. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I remember etched into my mind, and this was this is what I call pre-Jesus, but etched into my mind was Jim saying, if you make $50,000 a year and you're doing the best you can, we call you a stud. If you make $500,000 a year and you're loafing, we call you a dud. Mm-hmm. And that's um, you know that was that was etched into my head and my heart and unfortunately a lot of that's left because there's a lot more to life than just money. Um, but it, it success really is knowing that you did the best that you could do, whether that would be for your company, whether that's your health, whatever whatever it is. It's it's setting a target, giving it your all, and being being content with the result. Love it. Now, what is your morning routine? You want all 17 minutes of it? No. I'm, 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 a, I'm, a, Michael, I'm a Michael Hyatt fan. So okay. um, I have, I'm really, really down to the, to the morning ritual because if I skip one, I get inside of trouble. So, you know, I, I try to wake up at 4.50. Um, Hal Elrod, you know, great guy. And uh, the miracle morning, I try to be up at 4.50 because you get so much stuff done. Uh, I immediately put on my slippers because my feet are cold. I put on my Focus at Will headphones. 
which I love as a, as a, as, as a background noise. I make my bulletproof coffee, my vitamin water. I come back. Uh, I do about 10 minutes of Bible study. And by then, the bulletproof coffee is kicked in and then game on. Mm-hmm. Review the top three, uh, top three things for the day, the big three for the week. Um, and then I either listen to a podcast or read uh, or go do a very light workout since I'm not supposed to do any big ones. That's the, that's the morning ritual. Love it. What is a book that has changed your life? Um, right now, I would have to say it's, it would be that it's changing my life. That's a tough one, but it would, it would have to have been the start of the road back to you, the Enneagram that uh, the, the way Barb and I are communicating. I found that, you know, we go to a church with 10,000 members. I found that yesterday uh, that the whole church leadership team is going through the process because they seem to have found it at the same time. Um, that, that has changed my life. I can't say enough for the road, um, the road less stupid by Keith Cunningham in terms of getting me to ask the right question. You know, is it, you're a high quick start too. I'm, I would bet. And, you know, so I have 10 ideas a day, if not an hour. And yeah. in the front of my journal, I, I always had uh, a thing in, in quotation marks, Joe, that's a great idea, but is it the right idea? <laughs> and with Keith, I have narrowed that down to Joe, that's a great question, but is it the right question? Um, so I, I would strongly encourage that one. And then the checklist manifesto is how we run the company. Um, every, everything that I can do by checklist, I do by checklist. You know, there's, there's no reason to rethink the heads, the, the brain's designed for solving problems, not storing data. Build checklists on everything you can do in your life will be much simpler. Love it. Have you had a mentor? Um, I've had, I've had one um, that was, that I, that I would call a mentor because he was in our industry and he passed away December 11th of 2016 at 65. Um, that probably had a little bit of impact on me too, but I have been fortunate enough to uh, be in strategic coach for 19 years. And, you know, when I started in the industry and I was 21, um, so many of us, my kids included, so many of us worked so hard and, and, and so uncontrollable that a lot of our kids don't want to be in the industry. They don't want to have anything to do with money. And or at least the financial planning side. And so when I came in, um, I was like the long lost little brother or, you know, the kid that they always wanted in the business. And so a lot of my friends were, you know, 25 years older than I am. And as a result, you know, for me to name one mentor would be a mistake. I, I've had a lot of people who have really spoken into my life and, and helped in, uh, in many different ways. But I, I think if you broke that down between, you know, spiritual health, relationships and wealth. Um, you would find it was a different person or group of people in each of those categories. Mm-hmm. Now, what is your spiritual practice? It sounds like you have a few. Yeah, the um, so so once a quarter, I try to aim the focus of that quarter on one of those four categories, and then once at the three months in the quarter, aim it on one of the others, and then once a week for each month, it's on one of those four. So, if you sent me an email that said, "Joe, I want you to read this." And it was a it was a, a medium article or something like that that was about spiritual. I'll read it in a spiritual week or a spiritual month or a spiritual quarter. Um, you know, so I I do try to focus throughout the course of, of the course of the year. But the big one is to try to stay a hold of um, 
small groups of people that we can talk to uh, and, and books that we can read. We're, we're reading a book called Forgotten God by Francis Chan again right now. And it's a, it's about the Holy Spirit that just in my mind and church just kind of gets neglected and over, um, it's not talked about as much. And I think that's a, that's a big part of life, but, uh, I do believe in, in prayer and, and, um, um, between that and meditation that, you know, that Jason Campbell and others are trying to get me to get involved in it. I think it just kind of soothes your heart. So, uh, reading, reading and, um, and, and listening, uh, and meditating, I guess, would be the big three. And then, of course, we have we have a great church group that we go to on Sunday. Did I ask you, did I skip what's your favorite quote? Can you give me one of your favorite quotes? Um, you did. Um, the, um, the, the one that probably resonates the most with me is uh, from my grandpa. Um, the smallest deed will always outweigh the grandest intention. Um, hmm. You know, in business, I think people try to come up with a grand scheme. And so many times when you're in a service industry, just doing something little that you actually do matters a whole lot more than anything big you intended to do. Yeah, that's um, right. That, that, would, uh, that, that's, that would probably be the big one. It's, you know, my journal is littered with quotations. I write them throughout as I listen to a podcast of good wisdom and good ideas. And then there's so much, and we, we've never lived in a period of time where there's so much good information. I think about all the money I spent on those tapes you know, when I had no money and now these podcasts are free that you and I are creating and, and, uh, the, the wisdom that just gets shared is amazing. Do you hear that listener, all this wisdom you're getting for free? Just take a second and feel the gratitude. Um, now what is your best quality? My best quality. Um, it's probably the same one that matches, uh, Indiana. We are known for our loyalty. Um, if, if I tell you I will do it, or if I'm in your corner, I will be there until bad things happen. Um, and it's, it's, uh, um, loyalty is just a big deal in Indiana and, and it's a big deal around our family. It's, we translate loyalty into integrity and, and every, into other areas. You know, I had to, um, it's, it's, it would just be that, you know, I, I will, I will figure out a way to get it done. If I tell you that I'm going to help you do it. Now what's your worst quality? Probably that I um, help even when I'm not asked to help. Yeah. And that's where that challenger of an eight comes in. If, if uh, I, I provide um, when, when left unsupervised, um, I, I provide a lot of guidance that was not requested. Mm. Well, Joe, this has been magnificent. I can't thank you enough for um, chatting with me and being willing to do this. Is there anything that I didn't ask you that you want to add? How can people hear your radio show? How can they find you? All of those things. Well, one, it's an honor to be able to be on here. And it's uh, anytime I can help somebody else in, in our little circle of, of people who are trying to make the world a better place, I, I want to be a part of it. So I was honored to do it. And um, thanks for pulling some of the stuff out of me that I would not normally ever think about saying on a radio or a podcast. Um, if you want to listen to the program, it's, it's called consider this program, um, newsflash. If you're going to start a podcast to make sure that you own it and don't let an intern set it up because iTunes will not let you change it. Um, so we had to get rid of all the way back to 2007 and start it again this year, mm. uh, but it's called consider this and you have to put in the word program. Uh, you can download it anywhere you listen to podcast. Our website is yourlifeafterwork.com. Um, happy to have you, uh, join there and if you like economic stuff that's put into simple terms 
Uh, I do a weekly newsletter that's a video that comes out every Thursday. It's called The Market Carver. And if you just go to our website, you can sign up for it and get it for free. So What's your life after work.com. Your, okay, yourlifeafterwork.com. Okay, everybody, thank you so much for listening, Joe. Thank you so much for sharing all of this. And um, y'all, I'll talk to you next week. Thank you. Have a week.